0: Well, this morning, I've entitled the message, Answering the Call. Did you know that God has a call on your life? That you were created for a purpose? You weren't just put on this planet to, to light it up with your, your deceptively good looks. But actually, you have a purpose here. God has as a calling on your life. And have you guys ever heard the expression that you have to answer the call? That's why I've entitled Answering the Call." The reality is, is that, that everything we do in our lives is the result of decisions that we make. We talked about the last two weeks, um, personal responsibility, how we have a responsibility to make decisions and actions in our lives, to do what God has called us to do. And, but the, the truth is, is that everything in our lives is, a, is the result of a decision that we have made. And the, the reason why it's referred to a calling is because it requires an answer. It requires a response. You know, it's almost like you know, you're know you downstairs yelling, yelling to your kids in the other room. You're calling out to them, and you expect them to answer. And God has a calling on your life as well. He's expecting an answer and response. And the truth is, we have to make that choice. Do we say, here I am, God, send me? Or, or do we do like our own kids do and, and, and just ignore us and pretend like we didn't hear him? Kids ever did that to you? You have yelling at them and they, you know they heard you? Or you ever had somebody pretend like they're asleep? You can see their eyes moving and everything. You're like, I know you're, you're awake. Answer me. You ever had that? I wonder if God's ever like that. I know you can hear me. Like I said, we all have a choice in our life. And this morning I want to talk about answering that call. In Genesis 2:15 through 17 it says the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it and the Lord God commanded the man saying you may surely eat of every tree of the garden but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die From the beginning we were designed to be able to make our own choices our own decisions from the beginning, God gave us free will, and he, he put us in the garden, and he said, you can do anything that you want, but just don't eat from this one. I mean, this garden, has got trees everywhere, there's fruit everywhere, everything that you could possibly need, the only thing you can't do is eat from this one. Now, when I read this for the first time, I kind of I had a, a beef to pick with God, Anybody ever read this story and thought, wait a minute, God, what are you doing here? Because here's, here's what I thought. I'm like, you know what, God? We're in a mess here on this earth. I mean, you look at it, there's sin everywhere, there's death everywhere. And, you know, we've read the Bible. We can all, we can all follow and trace that back to, to what's about to happen as a result of this choice, right? Adam eats from the, from the tree, and, and sin and death were introduced to the world, as we saw, was it, a couple weeks ago we looked at that sin and death to the world and, and now women have to put up with men as their husband. I think that was the, uh, what he said there, you're stuck with us. That was your punishment. But uh, this, is, this is what happens and we can all follow it back here. And I'm like, all right, God, so we know this is the breaking point. This is where it all happened. What did you put the tree in there for? Anybody ever wondered that? How much easier would it be if there was no tree? If there was no tree, nobody eats from it, and we're all still living in the Garden of Eden. But the reality is if there was no tree, there was no choice. There was no option. And without choice, without free will, there is no relationship. God doesn't want you to be his slave. God wants to be your friend. He wants to have a personal relationship with you. He wants to sit down and have chats with you. He wants to talk to you. He wants to be close to you. He wants to continue loving you, and he wants to be loved by you. And the reality is, is if we didn't have any choices, if we didn't have any, any options, then our life would just be scripted. We would essentially be robots. How many of you ever really, really felt like your TV loved you? Anybody ever felt the love from their TV? What about your car? I mean, even the most comfortable car is you sit down and the arms come up around you in the warm seat. It's convenient, but it's not love because your cars can't love you. Your, your TV can't love you. Robots can't love you. You have to have a choice in the matter. And that's what God wanted with us. And that's the reason why we have the even opportunity to answer the call. Because if we didn't have the, the opportunity, the option of saying no, then it, it, was, it would be worthless to God. He wants Your relationship, he wants your love. And the truth is, because of of free will, because of this whole situation, it's true that we get to to experience hurt. We get to experience pain. We experience death. All those terrible things. But do you realize that the flip side of that is, is that we also get to enjoy joy, hope, success, triumph. If our life was scripted, none of those things would be real either, amen? So, But this is how it starts. This is, this is, a, the, this is why we even have a choice to answer our call. In Luke one 30 through 30-38, it says, And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. And you shall call his name Jesus, and he will greet you and will be called the Son of the Most High. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who is called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Did you know the greatest event in history? The fact that Jesus was born as a man hinged on her choice. The angel came to her and began to tell her what was gonna happen. She began to to tell her who her son was going to be. And probably like you or I, her first her first thought is doubt, her first thought is is confusion. She says, Wait a minute, how is how will this be since I'm a virgin? And just like you or I, she had those initial doubts. She didn't understand how it was going to work. Has God ever told you something and it's going to happen in your life? He's called you to something. you're like, how is that supposed to work, God? And we have those initial moments of doubt. But the difference between Mary and many people in this world is is she quickly snapped out of that. And she says this. She says, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. She basically said, God, my life is yours. Do with it what you will, whatever you want me to do. And we're thinking to ourselves, well, yeah, she had an angel come. And t- I mean, if, if God came, if an angel showed up on my doorstep and told me that I was going to be a preacher or an evangelist or, or whatever, a missionary, it would be super easy then because an angel told me. It's, it's not. I can tell you that right now. Because there's time after time of stories where God has physically spoke to people and, and they're freaked out. It, it, it doesn't help. It probably makes it a little bit harder. Because the truth is, is, is today we have more revelation through the New Testament, through Jesus, through all of that, than anybody's ever had in the history of the world. These guys were stepping out in faith for something that was promised. We're stepping out in faith for something that we can already receive right now. And that's a huge difference. But she says, behold, let me be to me according to your word. And you've got to think about this, little young girls living in a time, I mean, a, a girl gets pregnant nowadays and, and uh, you know, the doctors will, will help her get rid of it or do whatever without even telling their parents. Back then, they'll take you out in the streets and stone you. They would kill her for this. And if that didn't happen, she's still going to have to deal with, with, obviously she knows that she's not to be ashamed, but nobody else does. They're going to be pointing their fingers and staring, and, and her reputation is essentially going to be ruined. Until the New Testament is written and, and, and what, what has actually happened comes forth. But for the whole time, her, her reputation was ruined because of what God wanted to do in her life. What are you willing to sacrifice for what God wants to do in your life? You know, I look at this story and I'm like, this is who I want to be. I want to be the one that says, here I am, God, send me no matter what the consequence. I want God to use my life. And I've never I've never, uh, been in a situation where I have to love God more than I love my life. But I would like to think that I would be willing to, to, to give it up for him. And I pray that that's who I am because that's the attitude that I want to have. I want to say, here I am, send me no matter what's going to happen. But it's amazing to me the greatest event in history what if Mary would have said no now I don't believe that God would have just gave up but I believe that this story would be a whole lot different than it is now and she could have said no and then we go on to Joseph. Here's the rest of the story in Matthew one 18 through 18-21. It says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit and she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. That's just one side of the story. Now we have Joseph on the other side. You know, Joseph had a role to play in this as well. He was, it says that he was a, a just man. He had to raise Jesus. You know, Jesus was 100% man and 100% God. I thank God that he had good parents. And they taught him the ways of God until God stepped in and, and he was responsible to God on his own. But at this time, Joseph had the same thing. The angel shows up to him and says, yeah, I I realize this is tough, but now I need you to step forward. Keep your wife. Take care of her. Take care of the baby. Even though that all your friends are are going to to hold you in shame. And the same thing, he's going through all those things, the same internal struggles, but he decides to give it for God. And the interesting thing that I found, and and I I mentioned this last week, and actually we're going to spend all of next Sunday talking about this, but the angel says to him, David, do not fear. He says, do not fear. You know that one of the greatest things that will stop you from from walking out the walk that God wants you to walk, the greatest thing that will stop you from, from answering your call and being who God wants you to be is fear. I was looking as I was kind of putting stuff together for next week. I've already started looking at that. There is... Um, uh, I did a quick search in the software that I have, and, and I, I looked for "do not fear," don't, or "do not be afraid," "be not afraid," and "fear not." Those four phrases in my Bible, and there is over a hundred instances that are that are the correct context. There are some that use the same words that you don't want to be applied to you. You do They're they're. Uh, Uh, deal with something else but in that same context where God is telling people to not be afraid over a hundred times in the Bible it says that it's pretty important to God that we're not afraid that we will trust him and it's our fear that will cause I mean if Joseph stayed afraid for what he was going to have to face if he was afraid for I mean there's probably part of him was afraid that she was lying when he said hey this angel came to me and got me pregnant he's like yeah right that's why it says he was gonna put her away quietly. He was a just man. He didn't want her to put her to shame, but you know, she's pregnant and he's like, it wasn't me. So there was something going on there. And I mean that would that would be terrifying to know that there's a there's a possibility in the back of your mind that your wife is or your soon-to-be wife is messing around on you. He's afraid of what the townspeople are gonna to think, what the religious leaders are gonna think. He's afraid, probably part of him is wondering, how is this going to affect my eternity? And it's fear that will keep us from doing what God wants us to be, to have done. But in this case, we know the rest of the story. He decided, "He said, you know what, God, here I am, send me. I'm going to do whatever you want. And, and we know that the greatest event in history took place. Jesus Christ, God, came down as a man and he gave his life for us. But it started with Mary and Joseph. See, and the reality is when we don't do what God asks us to do, we end up putting ourselves in a predicament. Did you know you can remove yourself from the blessing of God? When we, when we basically run away from God. When you, you have the choice to either answer your call or run away from it. And you know what happens when you, when you run away from it is you get yourself in a mess usually. In Numbers 14, 28-30 it says, Say to them, as I live, declares the Lord, what you have said in my hearing I will do to you. Your dead bodies shall fall in this wilderness and all of your number listed in the census from 20 years old and upward who have grumbled against me. No one shall come into the land where I swore that I would make you dwell except Caleb, the son of Jephana, and Joshua, the son of Nun. This is the, 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 the Israelites were just rescued out of Egypt and now they're they're doomed to to march in the desert for 40 years and we all know that none of the people that were rescued from Egypt that were 20 years old uh, at the time or older made it into the promised land except for Caleb and Joshua and the reality is is that they ran from the call of God on their life because we know the story right God says, I have given you this promised land. It is flowing with milk and honey. So Moses sends in the 12 spies. And Joshua and Caleb come back and say, man, God was right. There's some people there, but God was right. This place is awesome. Let's take it. But the other 10 are like, oh, no, there's too many of them there. They're too big. We even saw giants. And he said that, that we were grasshoppers in our own sight, and so we were in theirs. It's interesting, the wording of that, because he says we're grasshoppers in our own sight, that's how we saw ourselves, and as a result, that's how they saw them. And they, they say, you know what, we're going to grumble, we're going to complain. God, you took us out of Egypt just to get us killed here. And they whine and grumble and complain. And as a result, God says, you know what, as I live, what you have said in my hearing, I will do to you. If that's what you think is going to happen. That's what's going to happen. They, they removed themselves from the blessing of God because they, they didn't answer. Now, was, it, was God punishing them? I don't believe so. I believe it was was a lack of their faith. And actually, if you if you read on, it wasn't they weren't allowed in as a as a result of a lack of faith, not as a punishment from God. It says, "Our fathers in Acts 7:39, our fathers refused to obey him, but thrust him aside, and in their hearts they turned to Egypt." And Hebrews 3:18 through 19, it says, "To whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest? But to those who were disobedient." So that we see that they were unable to enter because of why? Because God wanted to teach them a lesson? No. Because of their unbelief. And the same thing happens to us when we are walking afraid, when we are walking in unbelief, we put ourselves in a position where God is unable to bless us. Did you know that God wants to bless you, but there are certain things that that, that we can do to limit his working in our life? In Luke nine, sixty two it says, Jesus said to him, No one who Oops, sorry, where am I at? Oh, yeah, In Luke 9.62, Jesus said to him, No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. God wants us to keep moving forward. He wants us to keep pressing on to continue trusting him. And the reality is, in this situation, are these folks eternally damned because they were disobedient? No. They just lost out on blessing in their life. For us... When we disobey God's calling on our life, when we, when we hear His call and we run the other way, does that mean that you're going to hell? No. If you have the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, then, then you're secured eternally in heaven. It's not based on what you do to get into heaven, but we do limit what God can do in our own lives. And we we'll are miss out on what God has in store for us if we won't walk the life that He wants us to walk. Amen? First Kings 13, 15-19, it says, Then he said to him, Come home with me and get bread. And he said, I may not return with you or go in with you, neither will I eat bread nor drink water with you in this place. For it was said to me by the word of the Lord, You shall neither eat bread nor drink water there, nor return by the way that you came. And he said to him, I also am a prophet as you are. And an angel spoke to me by the word of the Lord, saying, Bring him back with you into your house, that he may eat bread and drink water. But he lied to him. So he went back with him, and he ate bread in his house, and he drank water. We actually talked about this story briefly in, in, in Life Group on Wednesday. This is a story I'm going to read to you. Uh, and <clears throat> in, uh, in basically, the, the scriptures before this, it was, this is a prophecy concerning Josiah. And this, this, this prophet right here goes to see Jeroboam. And the prophecy says that there would be a burning of the priests at the high place of the altar. And the sign was to prove the word of the God. And the sign to prove this was the word of the, the altar cracking. So this prophet goes to Jeroboam. Jeroboam hears this prophecy. The altar cracks. He stretches out his hand at this young prophet. And all of a sudden, the, the young prophet's hand shrivels up. And then the, the Jeroboam's like, hey, wait a minute. Can you pray and heal this? So the prophet, the young prophet, prays, heals his hand. And, and he fixes it. He fixes his hand. But then the prophet hears a word from God in 1 Kings 13.9. And it says, For so it was commanded me by the word of the Lord, saying, You shall neither eat bread, nor drink water, nor return by the way that you came. When Jeroboam offers him food and water as a reward, he offers to take care of him for finally fixing his hand. So he heads off into the wilderness. He's going on his way back home. And this happens. This old prophet, an old retired prophet, is living in the woods or wherever he's at on his journey home. And he says to him, hey, come on here and have some food and water with me. And and the young prophet says, wait a minute. God said for me not to stop, not to eat, not to drink, not to come by the way I came home. And instead, this prophet lies to him. But he lied to him and says, oh, no, no, I heard a word from God. Go ahead and come and and eat for me. And he decides to stop. He decides to be disobedient to what God has called him to do. Once again, he has a choice to either listen to what God has to say, or in this case, listen to what some other man had to say that coincided with what he wanted. Anybody ever heard or seen somebody or heard stories of people that... uh, they're going to their, to, their, to their elders or their pastors or whatever and they're, they're looking for confirmation of something in their life and, and they, they get a word back from that person that doesn't align with what they want so they go to somebody else to see if they can just find somebody to agree with them. That's kind of what's happening here. Is he hears this guy, oh, you're a prophet, oh, it's from God, I'm, I'm hungry. Let's just go with this one. The reality is that the enemy wants to distract you from what God has for your life. He's going to put stuff in your life. The enemy is going to do whatever he can to get you to become disobedient to God's calling and will for your life to distract you. And what happens when we we let ourselves get distracted? There's there's consequences in life. This is the end of this story. In 1 Kings 13, 20-24, it says, As they sat at the table, the word of the Lord came to the prophet who had brought him back. And he cried to the man of God who came from Judah. Now this is a real word from God this prophet gets now, the old prophet. And it says, And he cried to the man of God who came from Judah, Thus says the Lord, Because you have disobeyed the word of the Lord, and have not kept the commandment the Lord your God commanded you, but have come back and have eaten bread and drunk water in the place of which he said to you, Eat no bread and drink no water, your body shall not come to the tomb of your fathers. And after he had eaten bread and drunk, he saddled the donkey for the prophet, whom he had brought back. And as he went away, a lion met him on the road and killed him, and his body was thrown to the road. And the donkey stood beside it, and the lion also stood beside the body. I read this story, and I'm like, are you kidding me? All he did was stop and have some food, and he gets killed for it. And I looked at it. When I read this the first time, I'm looking at my life, and I'm like, you know how many times God told me to do something, and I haven't done it? And I'm like, as I walk out of the street, I open my front door, I'm looking for lions. What's, what's gonna, I mean, I'm not listening to God. What's, what's happening here? And it's because I misunderstood, actually, what happened here. I finally went to my pastor, and I'm like, I'm like Pastor Mike, I don't understand this. I mean, you've been teaching me that, that Jesus has died for my sins, and that I am forgiven, and that there is no punishment left to be had, but then you're teaching on a message like this, and this kind of seems like punishment. And this is when I learned there was a difference between punishment and consequences. That's why I've titled this slide, Consequences. You see how clever I am? So there's a difference between consequences and punishment. And the easiest way to look at this is you tell your kids not to go play in the interstate. That's wise, right? Don't go run around the interstate. And if your kid does that and he gets hit by a vehicle, was that your will for his punishment? Were you, were you thinking, well, that'll show him that was his punishment for playing in the street? No. But that was a consequence of playing in the street. There's a difference between consequences and punishments. I believe 100% that if somebody murders somebody but then gives their life to Jesus Christ, that they will be completely forgiven. They will be completely redeemed. They will go to heaven if, that's, if they truly repented and they received Christ. It doesn't matter what they did. But I also believe that they may spend the rest of their life in prison as a consequence of their actions. You guys see the difference? And the reality is, is I hope that I never face a consequence for being disobedient that causes me to get eaten by a lion. But the truth is, is when we're not walking where God has called us to walk, to do the things that we have called us to do, then the stuff in our life is not going to be as God intended them to be. I looked at this one, I'm like, man, all he did was eat. Why did he get eaten by a lion? You know what? If he wouldn't have stopped and stayed the night with that prophet who lied to him, if he wouldn't have stopped and had that, he would have walked home either a different way, or even if he would walked the same way, the lion was probably not waiting there 24, 48 hours for him to show up. He would have walked by that part. There had been no lion there. He would have made it home. It was a consequence of his action, not a punishment. We see that in other places as well. You guys remember Jonah running from God, right? Jonah. 1, through 1-3 says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and call out against it, for the evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. And he went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. Anybody ever, God ever told you to do something you didn't want to do, so you figured you'd just run instead? That's what happened to Jonah. Jonah is kind of ticked off. Basically, he said, I want you to go to Nineveh. You guys know that Nineveh was, a, was uh, not an uh, Israelite city. There was no, no Jews there. This was a, uh, uh, what's the word I'm thinking of? I'm going blank. Not Samaritan. Uh, uh, Gentile city. This is a Gentile city. They're not Jews. They don't worship God. They don't do any of that stuff. And God says, Jonah, I want you to go preach to these people. And Jonah's a little upset. He's like, but they're not even your people. What do I want to do that? So he, he, you know, he was the most successful prophet in the New Testament. Everybody in Nineveh gets saved because he shows up there. And he didn't even want to go. And he decides to run away from God. And then in Jonah 3, 3 3-5, it says, So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. And Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey. And he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. And they called for a fast and put on sackcloth, sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. The entire city of Nineveh gets saved because he's finally obedient. But you guys know what happens when he's not obedient, right? He gets on a ship, he's trying to run away from God, and all of a sudden, a storm comes through. And now, when I first heard that too, I, I, like, that seems weird. God's hurling tornadoes and hurricanes at him because he's not listening. But the reality is, is that when when we run away from God, we remove ourselves from his blessing and his protection. He wants to work in your life, but if you'll run from him, then he can't. And Luke thirteen thirty four it says, "O Jerusalem, O Jerusalem, this is Jesus speaking, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who gathers, <clears throat> and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing." And the picture here is of a of a of a of a hen, of a chicken, you know, and they have wings as they're gathering their chicks. And but how many know that when you when a a, a chicken spreads out its wings, it just has feathers. It's not like a, a, a mesh. It's not like a solid hand like we would have. It's, if you push against those feathers, you can push right on through. And that's the picture is God is, is trying to gather them in, but they're pressing through. They're running away. And no matter how hard he's trying to bring them in, they keep running away. And they keep pressing through. And when they do that, they're no longer... If, if a baby chick decides to push through and run away, it's no longer under the protection of its mother, no matter how much the mother hen wanted to protect her chicks. And the same is true for God. When we run away, we, we basically run away from God's provision and blessing in our life. And as a result, a storm, which I believe that God would have normally protected him from, came through. And finally, he realizes it's him, they throw him overboard, he gets swallowed by a whale, which can't be good. That had been a miserable trip. Gets spit back up on the shore, and finally, begrudgingly, he goes and preaches to him, and, and the whole city gets saved because he finally listens to God. Not listening to God, all kinds of mess in his life, finally begins to listen to God, and, and his life turns around. And he meets the greatest success. The greatest success of all the prophets in the Old Testament was this guy. An entire city was saved. And then, you know, the worst part is, if you read the rest of the story, he goes and climbs on a tree and just pouts about it. You know, the other great thing about this story that I like is that even after he disobeyed, even after he ran as hard as he could, he was able to turn it around. And the same goes for us. Maybe right now you're listening to this and you're, the Holy Spirit is, is convicting you a little bit and you're looking at some areas in your life that are, are, are saying, you know what? I need to turn this around. I need to be obedient to God in this area of my life. But on the other hand, you've got a devil that's sitting there going, nope, you were disobedient. It's too late. You've already screwed up. God doesn't want anything to do with you. But the reality is, that's, that's the enemy speaking. That's condemnation. When the Holy Spirit touches you, He's letting you know, you know what? There is a way out. Repent. You guys know what you guys know what repent actually means, right? It's an about face. It just means stop looking at whatever you're looking at, and look at God. That's all repenting is. Turn your back to whatever it is that's that's guiding your life, and turn your turn turn your face back to God. And that's the difference between condemnation that says that you screwed up; it's too late. But when the when the Holy Spirit convicts you, it says, "You know what? Just turn around. Let's get going the right way." And just like with Jonah, who ran away. Farther and faster than anybody I can think of at the moment in the, New Te- in the Old Testament. He also turned around and was used greater than any other prophet for God to save an entire city. And not even a city of Jews, but a city of Gentiles. Turned and gave their life to God. Amen? Did you know Jesus had a choice too? In Luke twenty-two forty-one through 42, it says, And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed, saying, Father... If you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. You see, Jesus had a choice as well. Jesus was 100% God, but he was a 100% man. He had the same thoughts. He had the same will. He had the same emotions. All of those things that we have, Jesus had. Philippians 2, 7 through 8. It says, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. It says he was born in the likeness of man and being found in human form. In Hebrews it says we don't have a high priest who can't sympathize with us. Because he dealt with everything. It says that he was tempted in every way man was tempted. He dealt with every single emotion, every hurt, every, everything that we deal with, Jesus had to deal with. That's what made him the perfect sacrifice. If he was just God, he couldn't have died for us. But he was 100% man. He was just like us. And we see a brief look, a brief moment into Jesus' psyche when he says, he says he knelt down and prayed, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Not only did Jesus have a choice, it sounds like he didn't want to do it. And I can't blame him. He knew what was coming. But his answer, his response after that is, Nevertheless, not my will, but yours, be done. Even Jesus had a choice. I am yapping too long. In Acts 26, 19-24, we're going to talk about Paul now. It says, Therefore, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, but declared first to those in Damascus, then in Jerusalem, and throughout all the region of Judea, and also to the Gentiles that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds in keeping with repentance. Paul's another one of those folks that had a serious choice to make. Paul went through some stuff. He had some serious situations. He was shipwrecked a couple times. He was stoned Uh, so bad that they thought he was dead at least once. He was given 39 lashes multiple times, I believe. I mean, he went through some rough stuff. And at any point, he could have turned and said, you know what, I've had enough of this God. I didn't sign up for this. But what does he say to King Agrippa? He says, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. But he went on to do what God called him to do. And he, he, he went through tons of hardship for that. And he faced serious reasons to be afraid, but he never gave up. And we know that most of the New Testament has been written by him. And when I read this stuff, I wonder for myself, and I, I hope it would make you wonder too, that, that if this is what is accomplished, accomplished by a man who is obedient, what could I accomplish when I'm obedient, if I would be obedient? You know, Paul's not special. There's there's not something that was inside of Paul that makes him better than you or I. Paul faced the same stuff that you and I did. And he just trusted fully in God. He operated in the power of the Holy Spirit. And he was obedient to God's call in his life. And God did amazing things through him. And I want you to know that if you'll do the same thing, if you'll put your faith in God, put your trust in Him, and you'll work in His power, not of your own. If you try to work in your own power, you're going to fail. You're going to mess up. You're not going to make it. But Paul said, he says, when I am weak, I am strong. Even in Paul's weaknesses, he was strong in Christ who died for him and lived through him. And we have the same thing as well. If we'll be obedient, God will use us to do incredible and amazing things. And it's like Dr. Leon used to say, which I, I find so poignant, is, is when, you stand in front of, when you stand in front of God, is he going to say, well done and faithful servant, or is he going to say, Well done. I want to hear the words "well done, good and faithful servant." How about you guys? So, what is our our motivation to obey? Then, if we if we decide all right, then then uh, this is what we want. Did you guys ever see that old Sprite commercial? It was let's see. I was probably a teenager, but it had all these black rappers, and they're I don't know. It's Sprite or Seven Up. All these black rappers and they're they're playing basketball and they're talking all this nonsense and they're drink Seven Up or drink Sprite or whatever. And then the camera cuts away. Cuts away and it's these these uh, these like soft spoken British black guys and they're like excuse me, excuse me, what's my motivation? And it's this idea that that these guys were something else, not who they said they were to be. Actually, I don't know, I just went down a rabbit hole. It has nothing to do with what I'm preaching about. It's just a funny commercial about the whole motivation thing. So my question is, excuse me, excuse me, what's our motivation? Why are we motivated to be obedient to God? And Titus 3, 1-5, it says, Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, to show perfect courtesy toward all people. Basically, be a good Christian. Do we want to be obedient? Why? Do we want to serve our God? Because He changed us. He did a work inside of you when you received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. He did a work inside of you that was nothing short of a miracle. It was a miracle. This isn't, uh, you know, when you got saved, it wasn't just by your will. You're going to decide I'm going to live differently from this point on. But when you received Jesus Christ into your life, your spirit, your old spirit, is exchanged for his. His life for yours. You are made brand new. You are not who you used to be. You are a walking, talking miracle. And as a result of that, we want to be obedient to God, to our leaders, to our authority. We want to live the life that God has called us to live. In Luke six forty six, one of the stingiest phrases that Jesus ever said. says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? That's a question I think we all have to answer. You know, we're all warm and fuzzy about Jesus, our Savior part, but we always want to push aside the Jesus, our Lord part, and they go hand in hand. The truth is, is that he gave us Everything. He gave us a new life. He fixed what was broken inside of us. He gave His very life for ours. How could we not give in return, be obedient in return? How could we not give our whole life to Him when He gave His whole life to us? And the funny thing is, I think in some ways we become jaded of it because every, almost every person that I know, that if I were to give them something, if I were to give them a gift, there's that part of you that wants to repay that in some way. You want to give something in return. Even people that I work with that aren't saved. You know, we'll go to, the, to Circle K and, and one week we'll go in there and we're getting our coffee and I'll go ahead and buy coffee for everybody. And you know what happens the next time? They'll want to buy me one. It's a natural response because we are all made in the image of God. Even those who aren't saved, that's, that's an inbuilt part of our character to want to do those things. And if that's the case, it should be a natural response for us to give to God because He gave to us. Amen? In Matthew 28, 18-20, this is the Great Commission. You guys all know the Great Commission, right? And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been made given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So I've been talking about answering our call. And some of you might be wondering, what is my call? What does God want me to do? What am I here for on this earth? And the reality is, is this is your primary and your first and your utmost call from God. is to share the gospel. To go out into the world and tell people about Jesus. The truth is, we all have many different callings in this, in this room. Some of you are called to be uh, hospitable to people, to have that gift of hospitality and invite people in your home. Some of you are called to, to do worship. Some of us are called to be pastors and evangelists and teachers and preachers. We're all called to do different things, but Christ is at the center of all of them. Because without Christ, there's, there's no need for, for worship leaders, there's no need for pastors, there's no need for any of this. If Christ isn't, isn't our center, what's the point? So this is your first and foremost calling, is to share Christ and keep Him at the center of it, His love at the center of it, to be examples of His love in everything that we do. Amen? Another thing that I believe is uh, an important responsibility of all Christians is to disciple others. Second Timothy 2, 1-2 says, You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust of faithful men who will be able to teach others also. We need to be teaching others as well. Anybody ever heard that we all should have a Paul in our life, we all should have a Barnabas in our life, and we should, all should have a Timothy in our life? Anybody ever heard that expression? Basically what they're saying is we all need to have a Paul in our life. We all need to have somebody that we are being discipled by. We need to have somebody that, that is teaching us and helping us grow in the Lord to fulfill our calling in our life. That's why there's, there's the fivefold ministries, teachers and, and preachers and pastors and an evangelists. It's to do all the work themselves. No, it's to equip the saints. And we need somebody that's equipping us. But then we all need a Barnabas. And who was Barnabas? Barnabas was, uh, uh, I think his name means something about comforter, if I'm recalling correctly. And he was Paul's companion. He comforted and encouraged Paul in his journeys. We need somebody who's where we're at, that's willing to walk alongside us. And then finally, we all need a Timothy in our lives. And, And Timothy was being taught by Paul. We should all be discipling somebody. Your first and primary role is a, is a minister and a leader in somebody's, in somebody's life. You're either being led or you're leading, but in everything that we do, and you can say, wait a minute, I'm just a kid. I'm just in high school. Who am I supposed to be discipling and leading? We have friends that you could be sharing the gospel with. Or some of us go, I've only been a Christian for a couple years and I, I don't know all that much. But the reality is, is that Everybody in this room knows more of the, the scripture. Most Americans know more of the scripture than most people, than most pastors in some of the third world countries that we minister to. You are well equipped in this country. And we all have a role to, to teach and disciple others. In 1 Timothy six twelve through 13 it says, Fight the good fight of faith take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things and of Christ Jesus who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession. And in Titus 3.14 it says, And let our people learn to devote themselves to good works so as to help causes of urgent need and not be unfruitful. Finally, our call is to fight the good fight of faith take hold of that eternal life that we have and press on forward. As he told Titus, let's devote ourselves to good works. Do we do that for our salvation? No. No good work is going to save you. You're saved because of grace. But as a result of that grace, we should have a desire to do good works. He says, so as to help in cases of urgent need and to not be unfruitful. You know, we want to fight the good fight of faith. answer the call of God on our lives. Say, here we are, send us so that we would be fruitful for him, that we'd make an impact in our world, more specific, in our city, in our workplace, in our homes, with our friends and family. We want to be fruitful in their lives. And the only way that we can do that is if we say, here God, here I am, send me. If we will answer that call. Amen? So let's be a people, you know, I want to challenge all of us, let's be a people who are willing to answer the call of God in our lives, to be a people who are like Mary or Joseph, willing to accept some hardship, to sacrifice a little bit if need be, to ensure that we are doing all God has called us to do. Amen? Amen. Let's go and stand on our feet.